Hello, fellow kids, and welcome to episode 28 of Hello, Fellow Kids. Uh, we are revisiting this month the Penderwick family with uh, the Penderwicks at Point Moet, which did either of us look up any special pronunciation or we just I with that? I meant to do that and didn't. Cool. Point Moet. Very professionals on this podcast. Uh, as always, by Jan Birdsall. Jean. Jean. You can stop calling her Jan. I said Jan. I said- that's even. That's not even a name. It's Jean. <laughs> a lot of names aren't names. You're not a name. That's true. I am much more than just a sound. I'm a whole huh. human being. That's debatable. <laughs> it's a weird Bruce. episode. It just. It was just fought about names, and then it ended. <laughs> <laughs> this is the third Penderwicks book. This is the next summer. So it was. Summer and then the follow, like the, the immediate fall and now we're, we're, we skipped around to, uh, the following summer. So it's been a year since the first, first book. First. Yeah, first. The, no, the first book. Uh, what did you think of this one? I liked it. This series is like a solid, like three stars. It, yeah. it didn't change my life. I, I wasn't like, this is an amazing book at any point. I was just all like, this is pleasant. I'm enjoying this. Yes, I liked it. Um, I felt that it probably, in my opinion, had the weakest of the, uh, like, storylines. Like, they're already not, like, big storyline books. It's more just kind of day-to-day events. But I felt like the, the big plot points of it I didn't like as much as the first two. But just her confidence in writing the characters so well just comes through in, like, the minute-to-minute stuff that I was having a lot of fun, even when there are points where I was like, Eh, I, I wish it would maybe go in a slightly different direction, but still had fun. Yeah, yeah, they kind of lost me at one point, but um, we'll get into that when we get there. But yeah, I mean, it's still it's still solidly in the in the go check it out if you want something that's kind of in that uh, slice of life summary vein. Yes. Um. Yeah. I mean, we've read two of them already. There's not a whole lot to to preface here you've either listened to the first two episodes or you haven't in which case you're going to be lost because we're not explaining it to you <laughs> <laughs> who's doing the synopsis it's your turn it's your turn because oh. i wrote for the okay but usually we take we switch off on who uh, it's fine i i have my notebook open in front of me okay cool. i totally forgot about switching off during series and so i did not write anything so okay thank you really <laughs> glad i prepared because i thought you were had this <laughs> Okay, chapter one. Going, going. It's summer again for our Penderwicks, and for the first time ever, they'll be split up for two weeks. Mr. P and Ayantha are in England with Ben for scientific conferences and a honeymoon, which should be one and the same for Ayantha. Um, Rosalind's going to New Jersey with her best friend Anna, and the rest of the girls are going to Maine with their Aunt Claire. Originally, their friend Jeffrey was supposed to go with them, but at the last minute, his mom said he couldn't go with no explanation. Super rude, since I'm sure accommodation was paid for ahead of time, and now they're down one person, never mind the hurt feelings of the girls. Rosalind is anxious about not being in charge, and she has Skye and Jane give Batty her bath before they have their mops meeting of Penderwick sisters. Batty gets clean, but Hound hops in the tub, and (laughs) Jane and Skye get soaked trying to get him out. Uh, when Batty doesn't arrive at the meeting, Rosalind seeks her out. 
Batty has messily unpacked her suitcase and she's hiding in the closet. She's decided that she isn't going to Maine, but Rosalind talks her out of hiding and repacks the suitcase. And then the mops is just an opportunity for Rosalind to stress some more going over the rules, which includes looking after Batty, making sure she wears a life vest whenever she's near the water, clean up after themselves, be polite, and so on. She only lets up when Sky and Jane swear that they can handle being in charge. And also Tommy Geiger shows up at the door to say goodbye to Rosalind. Chapter 2. Gone. Okay. Going, going, gone. We say farewell to Rosalind for the duration of this book, and Claire packs up the remaining Penderwick girls for a very long drive up to Maine. It turns out that Rosalind wasn't the only Penderwick stressing about this vacation. Skye isn't keen on being the OAP, oldest available Penderwick, but I totally thought, yeah, you know me, every time I read it. Um, in fact, she tried her hardest to put herself in a coma, but Mr. P told her she'd be fine and that she needed to buck up or Rosalind would be even more frazzled with worry and unable to enjoy her own vacation. So Sky wrote up six detailed pages of notes on caring for Batty. Seriously, there's only two rules when taking care of a mogwai and feels much more confident that she has this handled. After a long day of driving made longer by Hound finding love at a rest stop and Batty having a screaming fit over the fear that she'd left her stuffed animal Funty at home. She didn't, by the way. Okay, so they arrive in the seaside town of Point Moet. Pronunciation? Wouldn't it be funny if you um, looked up the pronunciation and then you just badly dubbed in the actual pronunciation <laughs> every time we say Moet? <laughs> well, if it's French going by these letters, it'd be like Point Muh. Point Muh, yeah. <laughs> okay, they're renting a sweet little cottage called Birches. I always wanted to put the Birches, but it's just Birches, which threw me off. And uh, the girls rush off to explore the area, not helping Claire unload the car, so boy, they already suck at this. Um, they find the scary seawalls Rosalind warned them about during their mops, and after suiting Batty up in her life jacket, they check out the beach. They have one neighbor, and Skye hopes they're quiet. Jane and Batty give a speech about how they think Skye will do fine as OAP, and then they get sidetracked by seagulls. They're ripped out of their nature appreciation by a dog who's not hound, suddenly jumping into the water to chase the birds. Everyone starts screaming, and Skye goes into very deep water to retrieve the dog, and no, no, I've read too many news stories of people dying while rescuing animals in water who are actually fine and get out on their own. Please don't do this. Pissed off, Sky trips and throws the dog into shallower water. That's when the dog owner shows up just in time. Can you hear my sarcasm? The dog's name is Hoover, and she's disappointed that she didn't kill him when she threw him. Boy, she's going to be even angrier later when she finds out she ruined her painstakingly gathered batty notes. <laughs> That's like my first thought when she like submer got submerged yeah, in the water. I was like, oh, her notes! No. <laughs> <laughs> and she doesn't even make the connection at all until later. Chapter 3, <laughs> the end of the list. The girls get settled into their rooms. Jane and Skye share the screened-in porch where Jane dreams of writing the latest Sabrina Star book, and Skye laments the loss of her list. Things look grim until Claire gets a phone call and tells the girls that Jeffrey's coming after all. He'll be here any minute. They all go tearing out of the house, screaming until they meet the hired car that Jeffrey's riding in. He has them get in, and Hound barks the whole way, and dude, whatever this driver is getting paid, it's not enough. Things are looking up now, even with the list gone, because hey, it's Jeffrey! I think in this early part, most of my notes are just little snippets that I like. Uh, for example, when Sky comes into Rosalind's room, 
And she's like, where's your Latin dictionary? I need to look up revenge. Rosalind's like, on my bookshelf, though, I wish you wouldn't. Because <laughs> she's looking up how to... Uh, help me help me translate this. To take revenge on Dexter and the loathsome Mrs. T.D., I consign them to a life of guilt-wracked agony like a serpent in their entrails. <laughs> like, I get that Mrs. T.D. is a B-I-T-C-H, but, like, like before the final cancellation, she kind of did, like, already cancel, like, a couple dozen times, I think, at this point. Yeah. And I don't even get, if she's that, like, torn about it, just don't allow it in the first place. Right, it's better to it's better to just start with no than to say yes and then change it to a no later. That's just really uncomfortable and adds a Josh, lot of Josh. Josh, we're recording a podcast. Could you like not rev your motorcycle? Yeah. Thanks. Sorry about that. <laughs> Get on me cuz my microphone cuts out, but like you're over there. <laughs> Maybe you could hear me. Loving <laughs> your motorcycle. What? I'm sorry, I can't hear. You. I'm busy peeling out. <laughs> I'm doing donuts in the parking lot. Hold on. There was someone doing donuts in the parking lot outside of uh, school, and they uh, at one point they something like flew out of the back of their truck, so they had to stop and go get it. <laughs> <laughs> Dumbasses. <laughs> Uh, it's weird we go to different schools now. I know. You got expelled, but it's I okay did. because you were too good for that place anyways. Yeah, you're terrible, so you work there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, not, that's not what that They're means. like, you're a good student. Get out of here. You're an awful student. Would you like to be a teacher? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I get to go to a better school. Um Okay, what, what were you saying? Like, it's better to just say no and leave it at a no rather than... Yeah, than to say yes and then have to backtrack it because everybody is making plans or, like, they're right. really invested in the yes. And then it's just really uncomfortable to walk it back. Yeah, I thought that was, like, cheap and awful even for her. But, yeah. I mean, she outdoes herself later. But Rosalind is concerned about Aunt Claire being in charge, not because she's bad with the kids, but just because her her experience is kind of limited and she says while no one had actually expired under her care when the girls were small aunt claire had once brushed rosalind's teeth with shampoo and dabbed sky's scraped knee with toothpaste which then makes me want to know if she was going to use shampoo on the scraped knee which is also wrong (laughs) (laughs) okay claire claire could you have a seat we have some questions (laughs) what happened i wonder if that happened while um she was maybe she was watching them while their mom was in the hospital and uh she probably had other things on her mind yeah probably yeah. jane is bringing a book called bilgewater which i looked up it's a 1977 novel by jane gardam uh, gardam street yeah and it's about a motherless romantic girl who mostly lives in her own head so jane yeah <laughs> Wow, okay. And then Rosalind goes to find a baddie, and she figures out the baddie's in the closet, and she's like, I know you're in there, baddie. There was a long silence then. How do you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, baddie's the master disguise. Remember in the last book when she hid in the back of the car with the blanket over her? It's me, daddy! (laughs) I was here the whole time! He didn't seem very surprised. Yeah, Batty does not have a career in espionage. 
This doesn't have to do with anything in particular, just that uh, I always kind of forget and then come to reappreciate how much uh, pride the Penderwicks have in being the Penderwicks, not out of being, like, rich or snobby or anything, but out of they have high standards that they hold themselves to in terms of, like, being a good person and, and setting a, uh, you know, a good representation. And that's something that I like because it's, like, you can be proud of who you are without being, like, some sort of, like, highfalutin, highborn family. I can um, see that, but I I actually find that really unhealthy because of the degree they stress themselves out to try to meet some standard that doesn't actually exist. Like, if it was just, like, a, hey, we're f- proud of our family because we're a cool family and we have each other's backs and it's, like, a good place, like, that'd be fine. But to the, the degree to which they stress out, like, remember in the first book where they misplaced Batty and like Rosalind melts down and was like, I've let down our mother. And I was like, you need to chill. So none of these girls comes with a chill. So maybe if they did, they can <laughs> handle having family honor, but I think it's not healthy. And Mr. P needs to sit down with them and be like, guys, can you please just not? <laughs> and then Ben says duck and then it's all covered. I hope they, uh, they grow into some chill. They could definitely use it. I don't think they do. What I've heard of the uh, last two books, they don't get any chiller. Um, Point Moet is based on Ocean Point near Booth Bay Harbor in Maine. So it's not a real place, but it is uh, heavily based on that area. And I had a strong emotional connection with Batty when she decided that she had suddenly... She suddenly decided she had lost Funty uh, or left him at home. And I... This reminds me of uh, we went to Hawaii when I was five, and uh, once we got back home, I couldn't find uh, my stuffed lamb. Uh, We eventually found him in the house, but my dad was, like, putting on his shoes to drive all the way back to the airport, which is, like, a 60 to 90 minute drive. And it was already dark, but he was like, I'm finding that dang lamb. I don't care. I'm finding it. (laughs) I'm sorry, Josh. I'd have just said lambs disappear sometimes and would not have done that for you. You're lucky you have the dad you have. (laughs) My dad's a real good dad. Birch's is off Ocean Boulevard, and I wrote, If I could find you now, things would... And I realized that's Ocean Avenue by Yellow Card. Is that the first time you sang on the podcast? No. It's probably the first time I've initiated it, but I've sung along with you a couple of times. That's true. Yeah, I was like, do I get to make a shitty comment now? I don't know what's the the, uh, protocol for this. I like it when you burst into song, though. Oh, okay. So the shitty comments are just like garnish. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's it's <laughs> like how it's like how when you, when you have a good friend, you're like, I hate you, but it's like you know that they don't hate you. <laughs> and then she pushed me in the trash can and kept the lid on for a really long time. But I know we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> she left me overnight. She must really like me. I ended up in the compactor. It's a really good thing that the, the garbage man heard my screams. But we're BFFs. I got, I got Brave Little Toastered. Oh, crap. That did happen to the Brave Little Toaster. Wait, was it the a... trash compactor or was it? It wasn't a trash compactor as I'm picturing it. They were like on a weird conveyor belt. It's, it is it is a car crusher at the dump. And uh, yeah. I, I, be, I think it's maybe the lamp that actually gets it, and then the Brave Little Toaster is rescued right at the end. But yeah, somebody definitely gets compacted, and it's horrifying, and that whole movie is really, It's really, really scary. It yeah. is really stressful, too. Like, remember when that, like, the reflection of that rose 
it like fell in love with like the toaster and the, the reflection and the yeah. toaster's just like, ah, oh, I'm sorry, but that's not, I'm not a flower and like leaves. And then the rose dies of like heartbreak and just wilts. Yeah. That's. And then the, uh, the, it's the air conditioner or the radiator that kills themselves. Yes. I think he, he stresses himself into like a, I can't, I can't he, remember he what he's really, called. really angry. And then he overheats and yeah. basically blows up. It's my such and such. And he blows up. And I, I was a kid going, what? <laughs> It's like, it's my function or something. It's my fun. Yeah. And, and that whole uh, section of the movie where they're at that, uh, where the hell was that? It was like a, um, why do I keep wanting to say thrift shop? That's not what I mean. You go and you like pay for things. Damn it. That could be any place. <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about. Pawn shop, that pawn shop or whatever, where that guy like takes parts out of other machines and like puts it in others just like to repair them and put them out for sale. Yeah. Which we don't think anything of, but it is like you're harvesting someone's organs and like Frankensteining something else into existence. That's why yeah. like the, the they sing that it's like a movie and that whole kind of scary sequence. Yeah, that whole movie is just questionable. Yeah, I watched it. I I definitely had seen it at least once as a little kid, and then I watched it again in high school, and I was like, oh my god. I watched it a lot when I was a kid, and like I had a very f- big fondness for it. And I think it's all comes down to uh, Little Richard, that whole part at the beginning with the radio playing Tutti Fruity and like yeah. jumping around. And I was just like, "Yeah, this is a fun movie where we dance a Tutti Fruity." And it's like, "No, it, this is horrible. <laughs> like, what are we showing children?" I don't know what. Actually, I do know what a lot of children's media is like, and it's nowhere near as dark as the stuff we grew up with. I think it's because yeah. we grew up and we're like, let's not do that. <laughs> so we make them better. Let's not hurt children. <laughs> you know, we can teach them things without being harmful and scary. Jane's biggest crushes, uh, Peter Pevensey, Kitty Peter. Narnia. That's a solid choice. Uh, there's also uh, Tom Hammond from Leapike Ridge, which is a 2007 novel by N.D. Wilson. And Finn Taverner from Journey to the River Sea, which is a 2001 novel by Eva Ibbotson. Uh, I read a bunch of her stuff. Uh, she's good. Did you ever have any book crushes? I'm Not sure really. I did. Oh, okay. Because um, I was trying to think about that. I was just like, did I ever have a crush from someone in a book? And I, um, nothing's coming to mind right now. I, I think because I just watched more like movies and stuff when I was a kid. I like I read books too, but. Yeah, uh, I, no, I'm sh- I'm sure I did. I don't recall any really strong book memories for that. I had a crush on Shigo from Kim Possible. I'll tell you that though. That's not weird at all. When you're Who the a kid, hell, you're still tra- why the hell am I judging you when I thought Basil of Baker Street from The Great Mouse Detective was cute when I was a kid? Okay. <laughs> why didn't I grow up to be a massive furry? I don't know. <laughs> But everybody else is, and then someone was all like, "Hey, you find out when you're fur- you're furry because when you were five, you had a crush on uh, the fox in Robin Hood, the from Disney's Robin Hood." And I was like, <laughs> "I was like, shit, he was kind of cute though." <laughs> I had a friend that was talking about uh, how for a couple of weeks she was in a. Uh, online furry community because she liked some of the art that they were doing and and then she got into the weird part of the art and she decided that she could not take anymore. Why does the turtle have a dill? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, shit, there would have to be turtle furry art because of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. 
Oh, yeah. Probably getting it on with, what's her name, April? April O'Neil, Channel 6 News. Is it 6? Are we going to get finally get emails and someone's like, it's the wrong channel, idiot! I, what if our OnlyFans are furries? <gasps> oh, no, I have nothing against furries, she said through her teeth. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I have I don't. nothing against furries, she lied. <laughs> Like a liar. Uh, no, <laughs> I actually don't have a problem with furries. I don't I don't get what the problem is. It's not like they're raping animals. They're just dressing up in suits. I don't care. It's none of my business. My problem with anything like that is just I get uncomfortable when people only have like one thing that seems to define them. When you get so in- involved in something that you don't have a personality outside of the fact that you're interested in that one thing. And I'm not saying that I'm like, like, I, I hate that person or anything. It's just something that's hard for me to really understand. Um, and so it's challenging for me to, like, talk to them. Because um, I've had some people at school try to talk to me, and they, they're really only interested in one thing. And it's like, I like that thing, but I have other things that I would want to talk about. And so it's kind of a, it's kind of a challenge. But... You're making me think of that Toby Keith song. What? <laughs> like... It's called I Want to Talk About Me, and then he he likes he's like uh, talking about like he sings about uh, the girl he's in a relationship with, and it's like we talk about your mother and we talk about your brother and da 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 da, da. and then it's like I like talking about you, but sometimes I want to talk about me is basically the gist of the song. Yeah, that's fair. So you're kind of Toby Keith in it right now, but not like it's like pre nine eleven Toby Keith, so it's kind of walking a line, but it's okay. Okay, we're not at We'll put a boot in your ass bullshit that I don't care for. Courtesy of the red, white, and blue. That stuff. This is not a a Toby Keith-friendly podcast. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, that's a big overlap between Hello Fellow Kids podcast and Toby Keith. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready for Chapter 4 if you want to. I totally am. And ironically, it's called A New Song. (laughs) (laughs) We're done talking about Toby Keith, so now we're going to do Chapter 4, A New Song. Batty's trying to adjust to Birch's when it's time for bed. There's no closet for monsters, but she still checks under the bed, just to be sure. Skye comes looking for her to make sure she's brushed her teeth and to put on jammies, which she has. It's heartening to see Skye at least try to be the OAP, and Batty seems to see that effort and cooperates with her. Jane comes in to tell Batty her bedtime story, and when she can't get past the first line of her new Sabrina Star story, she just reads a chapter of Ivy and Bean instead. <laughs> <laughs> Later, Batty wakes in the night, and she wants to see the postcards for England and New Jersey that Aunt Claire put on the fridge as a comfort for Batty. Uh, she and Hound get up, and they look at them, and seeing the beach scene of the New Jersey postcard, she's inspired to write a letter to Rosalind and throw it into the ocean for her. Uh, earlier in the day, the older girls had been whimsically throwing shells into the ocean for Rosalind, so Batty thinks that's how it works. So um, Batty writes her letter, Dear Rosalind, I love you, Batty, and goes outside, but she's intimidated by the darkness and the sound of the ocean, and she begins to cry. Uh, Hound does his best to comfort her, and when that doesn't stop the tears, he goes and gets Jeffrey. Since he's perfect, Jeffrey sits with Batty and listens to her troubles. He then offers to go throw the letter in the ocean for her, and then he goes inside and brings out a harmonica for her to play until she's ready to go back to bed. Jeffrey's basically the most perfect person in the entire universe. Did you pick up on that? Uh, yeah, I picked up on it. 
Like a, nor- a little bit. Like it's, a- <laughs> it's it's subtly hinted. <laughs> he really he doesn't lose his patience. Really, he's so good with Batty. I'm I think of myself at that age, and I think I would have I would have been mostly nice to Batty, but she'd have gotten on my nerves like a lot. <laughs> but I'm more Sky than anybody in this book, so that's just kind of how how we roll. And I liked the postcards on the fridge. Also, that Claire taped them pretty low down. So they're yeah, at daddy could, level. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cute. Like if Addy could look at him, that's, yeah. But I, I was just like, is, is Jeffrey like unbelievably perfect? Or there, but then like I tried to think about it and there were kind of like older boys I remember in my childhood who were kind of like him and that they're like just this infinite patience with like, especially with me. I was like, I, I grew up to be like Sky. I was not a child like Sky. I was probably closer to between like a baddie and a Jane. So I'm sure I was a very frustrating child, but uh, there were like good older boys who weren't mean and didn't tease. And uh, one of them, uh, I guess technically he was my cousin, but his father married my aunt and they were married for a while. So there's pictures of him playing with me when we were little. And I got to find one to show you. Cause uh, it just feels very Jeffrey and baddie. Cause like he's got this inflatable T-Rex toy that he's like playing with me with and I'm like tiny and like holding up, like reaching out for it. Like ah! it's a good picture. So I was just like, wait, I had a Jeffrey. His name was Jacob. <laughs> Shout out to the Jacobs of the world. Yeah. Jacobs and the Jeffreys be the change you want in the world. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Chapter five, an accident. In the morning, Claire sends Sky, Jane, and Jeffrey to the little country store for supplies. On the way, Sky insists that they run soccer drills, but Jeffrey and Jane flat out refuse to go along with her when she also suggests running and chanting. This ain't the army, Sky. It's just summer vacation. After they've stocked up on goods, they head back to Birch's, and Jane starts pondering her Sabrina Star book. I didn't put it in the earlier notes, but uh, Jane's decided that... Sabrina's next story should be a love story, and Jane's never been in love, so she's kind of been floundering, like, how do I write this? And there was even a funny scene at the towards the beginning. I wish I'd included this in the notes, but sometimes you don't know what's going to be important until later. But she uh, comes into Rosalind's room with all these romance novels of Ayantha's and was like, do you think she'd mind if I read these? And Rosalind's like, don't read those. <laughs> Put those down. Those are not for you. <laughs> She'd be like, what's his throbbing manliness? <laughs> did, he, did he hurt his arm? <laughs> I I remember um, <laughs> I was at my great-grandparents' house, and all they had were my great-grandpa's westerns and my great-grandma's romances. And I was trying to find something to read, and so I like grabbed one of each off the shelf. And I remember flipping to a random page in one of my grandma's romances and uh, reading the phrase, Her Forbidden Delta. Oh, no. And you're like, is there even like a dock there? (laughs) (laughs) Are there posted signs? Like, have people met with their doom in this place? Why is it forbidden? I like it. I want to read a real story about a forbidden Delta now. Okay, I should get back to the recap. <laughs> okay, so um, Jane's pondering about Sabrina Starr, 
and, you know, her love story. And she wonders aloud if love at first sight exists. And right on cue, a boy on a skateboard shows up. And even though he's an ass, you can see Jane forcing herself to fall in love with him, though she's disappointed that he's not a prince. And also he's American. Nope, he's 100% douche as he announces that his little sister's going to run over them. And that's when a tiny girl on a way too big bike nearly creams Jane and topples to the ground. Her brother makes no move to help her, which pisses Sky off, but Jane thinks he just wants to let someone else be the hero. Jane needs to learn about things that we are call red flags. There's introductions, and Skater Boy turns out to be Dominic Orrin, and his little sister is Mercedes. They're 12 and 7, and ask how old the Penderwicks are. Do you remember when you were a kid and just everybody... That was just a question you just asked everybody. How old are you? It yeah. Was, it was, like, really important that we figure out the packing order. <laughs> like, who's oldest, who's youngest? And, like, the really specific answers, like, I'm seven and three quarters, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, no one does that now. I realized that pretty recently. I was like, no one's ever told me I'm, like, some age and three quarters. <laughs> yeah, I don't know at what point it stops mattering or, like, you know... I'm yeah. eight. I'm eight, too. Well, what, when's your birthday? Yeah, the people that were born, because I was born in the, the fall, and the people that were born in the summer before me were, like, inherently more popular? Like, there was some sort of, like, I had no idea why there was any sort of, like, it's just, if you're older, you're better. Was And I couldn't tell you why that matters. Yeah, I don't know. At some point, asking how old someone was felt really juvenile. Like, how old are you? Or, like, or you'd say it, but you'd be sarcastic. Like, someone's all like, oh, man, gummy bears. Someone goes, how old are you? You know? Like, no one seriously asks that. And I've I've been asked that a few times, but only because I say something that reveals that I'm older. And then they go, wait, how old are you? Because <laughs> whatever kid I'm talking to just assumes I'm, like, in my mid-20s or so. And that ship sailed. But, um, yeah. <laughs> just I, I just smiled throughout that scene because of how much that mattered when you were a kid. Like, let's figure right. out everyone's ages. So anyway, they ask the ages, blah, blah, blah. Dominic in particular wants to know who's the oldest. Sky's 110% done with this conversation. So Jane says she's the oldest and bless Sky and Jeffrey neither refute her claim. Dominic douches away and Mercedes tells them that she and Dominic live in the local inn that their grandmother runs. And uh, she asks if they all want to play soccer sometime. Uh, with Jeffrey's help, Mercedes wobbles off on her bike. Uh, as the kids continue on the way back to the cottage, they hear Hound barking an alarm. Sky goes running, convinced Batty's dead, but Batty's very much alive, and she takes Sky to the seawall, where Aunt Claire's struggling with an ankle injury. Apparently, she didn't hear Rosalind's many warnings about seawalls, and she fell off one when Hoover, the idiot neighbor dog, barked and startled her. Hoover's owner, a bearded man named Alec, is there, and Sky does what I'm thinking, and she rips into Alec for not being able to control his dog. He's really remorseful, and I hope that remorse carries over into paying Claire's hospital bills. Though she protests, Claire is packed into Alec's car to get medical help, and Jeffrey takes the dumbass Hoover home. The Penderwicks look to Skye, who kicks trees in frustration that Rosalind isn't there to help them. When she sees that she's scaring Jane and Batty, she gets a grip and suggests they make breakfast. We're going to pull back just a little bit. Batty is very excited about the idea of uh, when her dad comes back from England that he's going to bring her a stuffed animal and she's convinced it's a tiger. So she's trying to think of a good name for a tiger and she settles on Gibson or maybe Chip. <laughs> is there some like 
reference I'm not getting, or is it no. just... Okay. No, those are just, uh, she just decided that those are good tiger names, and I love her logic. I mean, why um, not? I'd have been on original yeah. and named it, like, Tony or Hobbs. So her letter to Rosalind is actually <laughs> even better than what you said. It was what it said. Right, so I'm going to go ahead and read this. In big blue letters, she wrote Rosalind, and although she'd gotten too close to the edge and had to make the N and D small, she was very proud of what she'd done so far. She thought for a while, trying to figure out how to spell miss, as in I miss you, but when she couldn't work out whether it was M-I-S or M-I-S-S or something else altogether, she used a gold marker to write love instead. Then, since somehow she'd managed to fill up most of the paper, she finished off with batty and red letters. Rosalind would know what she meant. She always did. So it just says, Rosalind, love, batty. (laughs) (laughs) Batty, batty's great. Batty's great, and the- Jeffrey being like, do you want me to throw that into the ocean for you? Is that is that going to help? And she's like, yeah. It's like, all right, I got you. See, it's just- Jeffrey's perfect. I would have been all like, Batty, you know what? We can take this to the post office in the morning, and we can mail it, and then it will actually get to Rosalind. How about um, we do that? <laughs> when they announced soccer drills, were you expecting Jane's alter ego to come out? Yes! I was hoping and hoping for Mick Hart because he's my favorite character in these books. Yeah, there was unfortunately no Mick Hart. No Mick Hart, but then I ended up with a new favorite character in these books, and it's little Mercedes Orn. I love her. (laughs) She's so Uh, great. Yeah, Uh, and then when she, uh, when Jane, or when Dominic asks who's the oldest, it's not that Jane says that she is the oldest. She uses a roundabout way to avoid lying, where she says... Neither of us is the older sister, really. That's Rosalind, who's in New Jersey, but we have a little sister named Batty. You should meet her, Mercedes. She's only five, but she's advanced for her age. Anyway, Dominic, when it's just me and Batty, I'm the oldest. So she hasn't actually said that she's older than Skye. She's just trying to create a situation, like, a hypothetical situation where she would be the older one. It's still misleading. It's still lying by omission. It's, I'm putting it down in my book as a lie. And Skye and Jeffrey let her do it. You didn't see, but I mic dropped. Okay. I didn't hear it either. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, did you hear when I dropped it to go get my drink? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, so I win. Guys, I lost a game I didn't know I was playing. You done This has goofed. happened more than once. <laughs> this has happened more than once. That's what happens when you talk to Mara. Chapter six, pancakes? Chapter six, pancakes. The best kind of pancakes. <laughs> chapter <laughs> yeah we're gonna have a we're gonna have a pancake break if you guys want to head over to our youtube channel we're gonna be live streaming us making pancakes it's mostly just me swearing and like i forgot to butter the bottom i forgot to butter the bottom and <laughs> it's, it's mostly me just kind of stirring ingredients being like at what point is it batter versus dough and then i rear back and punch him and that's the end of the video <laughs> 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 okay um jane volunteers to cook breakfast and Batty wants to help. Jane doesn't want Skye there breathing over her shoulder, so she innocently observes that it's taking Jeffrey a long time getting back from Alex's house, so Skye rushes off to the rescue. Jane is such, you know, now that you've said that that circular way of saying that she's the oldest, and now this manipulation of Skye to get out of the house, she's a sneaky little shit. She's pretty sneaky. I mean, I'm not judging. I think it's pretty terrific. But I'm just like, she's a little shit. I like her. Then Jane and Batty get to work making pancakes. They, of course, make a mess, but at least they don't start a fire. I was so stressed out through that whole scene. I was just like, oh, my God, there's two children. 
operating a stove and I don't like this. Sky runs all the way to Alex's house and finds that the only thing Jeffrey needed saving from was his love of music. It turns out Alex is a musician and his house is full of instruments. Jeffrey sat down at the piano and started playing his little heart out as Hoover napped nearby. And when Sky prods him that breakfast is ready, he reluctantly tears himself away. They have a nice breakfast and then decide to clean up before Aunt Claire and Alec return. Once the place looks better than they found it, Sky orders them to the beach for some fun ocean times. Uh, they get a call from Rosalind, and Batty answers it. She's cautioned against mentioning Aunt Claire's accident, and like a little pro, she rambles about everything else under the sun until Rosalind says the connection's bad and hangs up. Huh. So what do you think? Do you think the connection was bad every time she said that, or do you think she just wanted to get out of the phone call? I didn't really know. <laughs> I didn't really know which way to lean because Rosalind is so... I don't know. Like, like I said, like all of them have this stick up their butts about like Penderwick honor and shit and saying like, oh, I'm going through it. Hang on. I have to hang up, you know, because you don't want to listen to Batty talk for like 20 minutes. <laughs> I think I think based on because at the end we can see when Rosalind gets home or Rosalind gets home and she's she like desperately misses, especially Batty. I think that she is genuinely just in a place that has a crappy service. And because if she had the opportunity, I, I think she would want to have her finger on the pulse of everything always. Right, yeah. Okay, I was I was just wondering about that, what our what our thoughts were on this like connection that keeps being bad. When the adults re- return from the hospital, Claire's out of her gourd on pain meds, singing songs from The Sound of Music. Alec thinks they should call Mr. P, but the kids hate this idea, not wanting to spoil anyone's vacation. They decide to just see how things go, and Alec says he'll pop in often to check on them. Sky asks permission for Jeffrey to use Alex's piano, which he very graciously grants. With all that settled, it's time for lunch. Chapter 7. Another accident! The next day, Claire's wacky meds have worn off, and she assures the kids that she wants to stay in Maine, if, but if anyone does want to go home, they can. She's able to drive since her left ankle's sprained, but not her right. Uh, no one wants to leave, though, so that's it. Alec visits with books and stuff for Claire and invites them over to his place for dinner. A musician friend of his is visiting, named Turon, and they planned to jam after dinner. They accept the invitation, and Jeffrey in particular is stoked, having already spent hours playing the piano at Alec's place. After breakfast, Claire gets settled on the porch, and Jane comes out to question her about love. Claire has quite a bit to share, but she keeps it age-appropriate. Anyway, the love survey has to wait because it's time for another supply run to the store, and Jane is sent. On the way, Jane gets all dreamy and dicks around, playing by the water, until she remembers that she has shit that needs doing. Unfortunately, Jane can't quite get purchase getting up the pebbly hill that she'd had no trouble sliding down moments before. So she grabs some rocks as paperweights to pull herself up the hill. Unfortunately, Dominic skates by and waves to her, and Jane waves back, hitting herself in the head with the rock and falling down the hill again. And I'm just like, he didn't see this? Wow, he sucks. Uh, Jane's in a bloody heap and can't get her bearings. Luckily, Alex's friend Turan comes along and rescues her. He drives Jane back to Birch's, where Skye has a nervous breakdown at the sight of Jane's injuries. 
Although Jane's nose isn't broken and she's more embarrassed than anything, Skye decides she needs to up her OAP game, and she goes around being so hypervigilant that Mad-Eye Moody would tell her to chill out. <laughs> Claire tires of the self-flagellation, and she makes Jeffrey the temporary OAP. He runs Skye ragged with orders and chores until she's too tired to be a pill anymore and takes back her OAP status. However, she's now too tired for the dinner-slash-jam session at Alex. She settles in for a quiet evening with her book, Hound is company, but ends up falling asleep instantly. Dominic is like... He's the one normal kid in these books. The he one... is the one normal kid, one but normal he's also kid. like... Almost every character in the Penderwicks is like pretty three-dimensional or something. And he's just like... I kept expecting it to be like, and then he was actually really good at this or something. It's like, nope. He's just nothing. He's just a, a local nothing boy. There's so many boys like this, though. I didn't even feel like yeah. I didn't even feel like this is bad characterization. I was like, no, he's just your typical shallow boy. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not. Yeah, I, yeah and I'm not saying it's it's actually well done because you're just like, yeah, I I've known a bunch of Dominic. Oh, and by yes. known, I've just been like, yeah, I don't really feel like I have anything to say to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, lots of Dominics in my life. Uh, um, you know how I think I said in like some earlier podcast, we were talking about the beautiful boys and just like, what, what, what do you do with them? Like, what's the deal with the beautiful boys? I don't get it. They are, they're all like him. So then I did, that's when I had to train myself out of being attracted to them. So when, if anybody really attractive talks to me, I'm just like, what are you? No, get away. Go away, Dominic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Jane is brainstorming names for Sabrina Starr's true love, and she's like, she's talking to Batty, and she's like, do you like Dylan? But when Batty vehemently shook her head, Jane remembered, sorry, that's the name of the boy who poured glue on you at daycare, right? And then Batty just goes, he poured glue on everybody, and I wrote Thousand Yard Stare Intensifies. <laughs> <laughs> how did how did he do it for so long until he got caught? How right? How much glue did they have? <laughs> the teacher's like okay let's get ready for the project and then she opens the cupboard and there's all these like spilled empty bottles all over the cupboard she's like what happened she looks and they're all gluey in a row <laughs> we have con confirmation that sky's middle name is mcgee uh, yeah. I think one of the previous ones, her dad calls her Sky, Sky Blue. Blue. We weren't sure if that was a nickname or if her middle name was actually Blue. Yeah, um, yeah. So it was just a nickname. Her middle name is McGee. Yeah, I was disappointed by that. Because it's McGee, it just made me think Maniac McGee by uh, Jerry Spinelli. Yeah. Yeah, I never actually read that book. Did you? I read that one, yeah. I read about probably six of his books. I don't so remember. So who's Maniac McGee? Maniac McGee is this kid that's, like, obsessed with marathon running through the neighborhood. Oh, okay. That's That's why the picture is always just, like, running shoes. I thought that they were, like, running away from the maniac. I was really kind of, like, intrigued oh. by that when I was a kid. No, no, I'm sorry. There is no Scranton Strangler. Okay, so, like, nine-year-old Mara is just going, oh. So after this book, we were just talking about this before the recording and stuff, but after this book, there's a five-year time skip to book four, and then there's another time skip after that. So if there's a five-year time skip, uh, Rosalind's going to be 19-ish, uh, and so she's going to probably be mostly removed from that story. And I was wondering if the author knew that that was what she planned to do next, so the idea of having Rosalind not be in this story much was her way of easing readers into the idea of Rosalind being disconnected from future stories? 
or if she would just if she really just kind of plans it one at a time and then she was like i think i want to jump ahead i don't know maybe man but i i just know that i'm not interested in seeing them grown up there's a reason why the second half of little women sucks so much ass like the first half is way better <laughs> all right chapter eight moose moose i was i knew you'd say it that was so i'm like pause pause for josh to say moose <laughs> um this is what happens when you've been working on podcasts together for three years. <laughs> also, did you ever read um, that book? Oh, shit. I'm picturing the cover and everything. It's by Cheryl Strayed. It's about her walk. Wild. Did you ever read Wild? Wild? No. No, I did not. There's a scene where she's on the trail and, and you know, she walks up by herself, right? So she's yeah. like out in the middle of nowhere and she's approaching and then she sees this big bull, like this huge bull. And she panics, and she just keeps screaming moose. <laughs> she sees the horns. It just goes, moose! And that's what I kept thinking while I read every single reference to a moose in this book. <laughs> moose! Moose! She just panicked and kept screaming moose. And the bull's like, F you, I'm not a moose. <laughs> okay, anyway. So uh, Jeffrey wakes Sky super early in the morning because he's so stoked after his night of music and wants to talk about it. Sky wants to sleep, so he tries to wake Jane instead. When she starts shouting out random dudes' names in her sleep, Sky decides she'd better get up. Jeffrey wants to go to the golf course that Alec told him about in order to see Moose. So Sky checks really quick on Batty to make sure Jane had put her to bed correctly. And off they go. I have it, I have it in quotations because I don't know what correctly means. Like, I went in and she's sleeping at the foot of the bed and the blankets were on the floor. And <laughs> it was chaos. Okay. Once they're all settled on the golf course waiting, Jeffrey talks excitedly about the jazz jam session he'd gotten to join in on. Batty also showed some musical promise as well recognizing major and minor keys when prompted. Skye couldn't care less about any of this, so she keeps suggesting arm wrestling and push-up contests. She gets pretty perturbed when Jeffrey wins every time, when she was so much stronger than him last year. Jeffrey casually suggests that maybe they'll get married someday, and Skye responds, to each other, which made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I super laughed really hard at that. To each other? <laughs> Yeah, Jeffrey's kind of the equivalent of, like, wouldn't it be funny if we made out? I mean, I'm just kidding. And she's just like, what are you talking about? I was just kidding, unless you want to. Unless you want to. But, like, it's a joke. It's a joke. Unless you're down. Um, DTF? <laughs> uh, DTK, because they're children. Down to kiss. DTM? Down to moose? Down to moose. <laughs> Is that just them standing in a field screaming moose over and over? They, well, they also have their hands, like, like their thumbs on, on their temples, and then their fingers splayed like antlers. I totally just did that before you said that. <laughs> 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 also, at this part, um, I imagined the Penderwick fan that we used to go to school with shrieking in rage at this scene. Let's just say the Penderwick series conclusion is controversial. The moose shows up, and it's a mommy with two babies. If you haven't seen a baby moose before, go Google it. Well, wait. Back? Wasn't that adorable? So it was totally understandable that when Batty found out she missed the moose, she cries inconsolably. Even Hound has a hard time calming her, calming her down, but she eventually does. Batty's on the beach when she sees Jane hanging out with Dominic and Mercedes. Always uneasy about new people, Batty hides near a seawall to avoid them, particularly Dominic. I was terrified of big boys when I was Batty's age, so I get it. 
Luckily, Mercedes is the one to find Batty, and they get along great. Mercedes gives her a decorative storage box souvenir from the Moet Inn, and they explore ocean wildlife along the shore before going to get Jane so they could look for moose at the golf course. Dominic's gone, and Jane's got a case of writer's block, so after initial hesitation, she leads them off to see some moose. There aren't any, but they do find tons of golf balls, <laughs> which they load their pockets with for some reason. Ah, childhood. A woman knocks her ball near them, and when they point it out to her, she gratefully retrieves it, since she's lost four balls already today, and it's really annoying her husband. The girls go through their pockets, and they find four balls identical to the ones she already has. Happy, the woman hands Batty five bucks and goes back to her game. The girls are flummoxed by suddenly receiving this money and hand it to one another before it's decided that Batty should keep it in her box. Or, I mean, you could buy popsicles and ice cream for everybody at the store, but you wouldn't be Penderwicks if you weren't totally weird about things. Just, it's money. Why are you passing it around like it's a hot potato? Just get treats for everybody, and maybe Aunt Claire will want a popsicle, too, while she's been sitting on her duff. You know, spending her whole vacation on her, uh, like, having an injured ankle. So, I don't, I don't know. That just seems weird to me. Did I already tell the story on the podcast about the third time we went to Hawaii and my older cousin brought his longboard and like we got there and uh, it was a big family thing. So uh, we'd all pitched in to rent a house for the week and it was kind of on a hill and we got there and he was like, all right, I'm going to go board down the hill. And uh, his dad was like, all right, well, if you crash, don't call me. And then less than an hour later, my dad gets a call. <laughs> And he's like, I crashed on, on the logboard and I can't call my dad. Can you come get me? And my uh, my cousin had skinned up his hands so bad that he had to put, like, wear gauze, like, all over the palms of his hand and, and like, walk around with his arms up for the whole week. So he had been planning on taking, like, surfing lessons and he wanted to do all the pool stuff. And instead, he's just, like, waiting around with his arms up, covered in gauze the whole time he's in Hawaii. So that's what that made me think of. Okay, I thought this story was going to lead to, like, unexpected money, so I was waiting for it. No, no. It and was, then it, it went was, a it completely was, different direction. Was, <laughs> I was like, so where's the money? No, it was in relation to the Aunt Claire, Aunt Claire being, being injured. Uh, I know. I get I yeah. get that's the connection. My brain went, oh, okay, because I was just like, so did he find $5 <laughs> when he fell? <laughs> did he buy you a popsicle with it? Like, what happened? All right. Chapter 9, Burning Wishes. Dominic has asked Jane to meet him at French Park after lunch. Jane, being a Penderwick, doesn't like not having a specific meeting time decided upon, so wolfs down her lunch in order to not miss Dominic. But I kind of related to that, too. And I'm like, what do you mean after lunch? What time do you usually eat lunch? Yeah, I eat lunch between, like, 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. So... <laughs> so anyways, yeah, she wolfs down her lunch in order to not miss Dominic. No worries there because he's skating around at the park when she shows up and uh, takes his time joining her on a bench. He's a lousy conversationalist and doesn't really engage with Jane's attempts at conversation. Just when she's ready to get up and leave, he talks about wanting to live on an island by himself, skateboarding and sleeping in a hammock and cooking all his meals over a fire. Then he takes off, telling her he'll see her around sometime. Jane asks for a specific time, but Dominic, and most guys have ever known, doesn't work that way. He'll find her when it's convenient for him, basically. Back at Birch's, Jane suggests they cook dinner over a fire. This isn't the best idea, but a marshmallow roast would be great. Why these nerds don't make s'mores is beyond me. Yeah, I kept waiting <laughs> for, like, the graham crackers and the chocolate yes! to come out, and it's like, no, we're just... 
You're just gonna just melt in the okay. A marshmallow then? Okay. Weird flex, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> that's like the second time this week I've said that, and I never say weird flex, but <laughs> that's okay. You anyway. never say weird flex? Not really? Oh, weird flex, but okay. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, does anyone even... And then they just said that for 90 minutes and hung up. <laughs> I don't even know if kids still even still say that. Anyway, uh, they gather wood and get everything set up for the fire. Alec helps them at sunset, and once they've had their fill of marshmallows, Jane suggests they wish to the fire god, so they chant and cut a little of their hair off and throw it in the fire before making their wishes. Okay, this is so fucking pagan. How was this book series not been challenged? Harry Potter's bad, but this slides? Yeah, I don't know why this hasn't been challenged. Well, it's because it's because it didn't happen in the first book, and what parent's going to read all the way to book three to be upset? Okay, fair. <laughs> I was kind of I was kind of shipping Alec and Turon a bit. Like I don't know if there was a reason to, but as soon as he sh- showed up, I was just like, okay, him and Aunt Claire, right? Um. The ba- baby moose are really cute, but are, uh, when grown-up moose are grown-up moose are too big. They are bigger than you think they are. They you, yeah, you could like drive under. Yes, them. yes. If you're lucky, you kind of picture them the size of a horse, but they're bigger than that. Right. They're they're real big. They're like if you hit yeah, them, aren't they like if you hit them with your car, you're lucky to to live. And it's actually yeah. I, I've read an article about this. It's really easy to hit them with your car because you don't see them their eyes don't reflect the light like other animals do if they end up in the road so you you could drive right into one and uh sometimes like you hit them with your car and then they kick out with those big hooves and they they'll kick you to death while you're pinned in your car you don't play around with moose but the babies are adorable Batty goes to, like, the beach every morning and sticks her toes in the water because she's trying to be as close as she can to Rosalind because her understanding is that Rosalind's also by the water. So it's real it, It's real sad. Um, and she's so sad because now she's never going to see Baby Moose in her whole entire life. This was her one opportunity. Uh, when Batty introduces herself to Mercedes uh, and then Hound comes, she's like... He's Hound. I have a cat, too. And also a little brother, which I wrote are the three most popular pet breeds. <laughs> little brothers. It's yeah. really hard to house train them. Holy crap. They uh, they go looking at the teeny tiny snails and uh, start naming them. And Batty says uh, it says that Batty loves them dearly. And Batty is just me. Yeah. Like even now. Yeah. Mercedes is really excited that Jane's a writer, but Jane's like, I might have writer's block. And Mercedes is like, wow, is that what's wrong with your nose? <laughs> I love Mercedes in this so much. She just like, she's, she's never encountered any kids like this. So she's just like, this is fascinating. This is like a really weird science project with all these strange people, but I'm digging it. You know, like they get into like their like honor and stuff. And she's like, I'm an orn trying to make that be a thing. And it's just so cute. I really love Mercedes, particularly yeah. stuff she does later, which we will get to. But I think, I think she's a wonderful addition to this, to this story. And Batty gets mentions- a friend. It's like Batty's friend. Yeah, right. Not just Batty's sister or the family's friend, but Batty's, Batty's friend. friend. Yeah. Um, Sky got tossed out of brownies at age eight <laughs> for refusing to wear the hat. Yeah. 
And then Jane quits in solidarity. <laughs> a friend of mine got kicked out of brownies because she said the F word. <laughs> yeah, she said that word and got kicked out of brownies. And I was like, wow, they'll kind of kick you out for anything. I understood the F word thing, but I think the hat thing is a bit much. The spell for the fire god is fire, moon, sand, and sea. Listen now and hear my plea. Humbly do I ask of thee, please bring what I wish to me. But they're setting up to do it, and uh, uh, Betty's like, I'll go first. And Jane is like, one minute, please. I must call up the magic with an ancient spell, which I haven't made up yet. <laughs> That's not and, what ancient uh, means. <laughs> I, I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, Sky wished that everyone else's wishes would come true except for Batty's piano. <laughs> right. Okay. See, here's the thing about the Penderwick honor thing that I was annoyed by, or like the, we are the Penderwicks, is that all the previous Penderwick girls had no musical talent at all and no interest in it. But Batty has, yeah. and multiple people are saying that, oh, yeah, she's good at it. But Sky's like, no, she's a Penderwick. She can't. And it's like each of you was allowed to have their own identity. And do their own thing. So maybe Baddies is music. Can you maybe just hear what she does and shut up? But so, so the whole yeah. thing's like, no, no pianos for Baddie. And then turning to Jane, like, did you hear that they say she has musical talent? Do you think so? And like, probably not. Like, I didn't think so. It's like, it was so mean girl bitchiness that kind of wrapped in the Penderwick honor thing that I was just all like, this is toxic shit. I don't like this. Yeah. I mean, it's they, they have a hard time. Like, when, once they establish what it means to be a Penderwick, they, it takes them, I, I, yeah, it definitely takes them some time to realize that they're the ones defining what it means to be a Penderwick, so they can, they don't have to be like, the other Penderwicks were bad at music, therefore Penderwicks must be bad at music. So, yeah, I, yeah, it definitely, yeah. they have a hard time getting over that mental hurdle. It's a bit much. <laughs> So I was kind of just kind of sighing every time that happened. And I don't, it doesn't show up in my notes just because it irritated me so much. So I was like, I don't feel like, I'm not going to notate this every time this comes up because it's annoying me. Right. <sighs> um, so the next chapter is called Seals and a Kiss, and it should have been Seals with a Kiss. Because I'm sealed with a kiss. Anyways, go ahead. Well, I thought of Seals singing Kiss from a Rose. <laughs> <laughs> now that your rose is in blue <laughs> i haven't heard that yet since school rio it used to play at school quite a bit uh anyway yeah chapter 10 alec takes the penderwicks mercedes and jeffrey out on his boat while turon stays behind with claire woo woo they ride out to some rocks where seals are stunning themselves, and Alec and Jeffrey play music for them. It's a magical moment that ends with Mercedes glumly wishing that she could play an instrument. <laughs> it made everyone laugh, too, in the book, but I started laughing, too, because I was just picturing, like, this, like, magical moment of, like, the music rising, and then, like, you're looking at the seals, and then there's this pause at the end where they're all just like, oh, and then, I wish I could play an instrument. <laughs> <laughs> and I was all like, did I just find my favorite character in this whole book? I did, because Nick Hart is not here, so it has to be Mercedes. Anyway, back on land, uh, Dominic's hanging out on the dock for Jane. Sky doesn't want her to go with him. Uh, he's a total turd, and Jane's clearly obsessed with him. She's been saying his name in her sleep and slow dancing with a used popsicle stick he handed her. Did I tell the story on the podcast about how once at school, this like popular boy who thought he was hot shit made this big deal of calling me across the room to him. 
and like I didn't want to go over it, and then I did. And then he handed me an empty soda can and said, could you throw this out for me? And I said no and walked away. <laughs> you didn't crush it on his head? Shit, I should have. <laughs> I just stared at him and went no and then walked off. I don't know why he did that, like, to this day. Did he think I had a crush on him and that I would be all like, oh, I'd love to throw out your used pop can. But I'm secretly going to keep it. Was he going to keep it? Oh, my God. Okay. Tangentially related to this, a friend of mine when I was in high school was in love with a boy named Marcus, and he left his water like it was it wasn't a special water bottle. It was just like a plastic water bottle that maybe said Dasani on it or something. I don't know. It was one of those ones. She kept it and she wrapped it up in masking tape and then labeled it the Holy Marcus bottle and kept it in her room. So can we agree that's messed up? For how long? Probably until she got a boyfriend for real. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot to take in. Yeah. The whole time you're wrapping it up in masking tape, you could be like, this isn't worth it. This is weird. But you just keep going. I know, like kind of, and then like labeling it the Holy Marcus bottle. I wonder if she remembers doing that. If you remember making the Holy Marcus bottle, email at us at uh, hfkpodcast at gmail.com. We were like 14 or 15, so she'd have to remember. We're not friends anymore because she doesn't like gay people. So that's the end of that. La la. Where was I at? Oh, the popsicle stick. Okay, so uh, Jane ignores Sky's warnings and goes to French Park with Dominic, where he awkwardly asks for a kiss. Jane agrees, and it's a crummy, barely anything kiss, then he's off on his skateboard. However, Jane is Jane, and doesn't realize that this sucks, so she's on cloud nine. She works on an ode to Dominic late into the night, a sleepy Jeffrey helping her with rhymes, until Sky throws shoes at them to shut them up. Thank you, Sky. <laughs> <laughs> I love that when she's like, what shit rhymes with a file? What shit? And then you hear, like, it's just like a sleepy voice says, Denial? <laughs> I liked that scene a lot. Jeffrey is uh, just yeah, that was really- Jeffrey is just so supportive. He isn't saying shut up, but maybe he thinks it'd just be easier to just give her the rhyme so then he can go to sleep. Right, it's like the sooner we give her the rhymes, the sooner she'll be done with it. And this. then everyone's happy, okay, Sky? Sky's like, no, violence is the answer. And she throws shoes. Also, I think it's really funny as they go to a park to kiss and it's French park. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even pick up on that. I go, but they're not Frenching. Chapter 11, Haircuts. Tehran has to go back to New York, and they're all sad to see him go. Uh, the kids go to find more golf balls for Batty's collection. She intends to sell them in order to buy a piano. Uh, but Jane stays behind. She delivered her ode to Dominic to the Moet Inn earlier in the day, and she's waiting for a response. Sky doesn't want to leave her, but Jeffrey insists that she stop hovering. Half an hour passes, and Mercedes comes running, calling for Sky. Jane's in trouble. Sky drops everything and follows Mercedes to the fire pit, where Jane's hacked off a lot of her hair and is ready to set it on fire for the fire god. Apparently, Dominic sent a reply to Jane's ode, and it wasn't favorable. They get the scissors and matches from Jane and take her to Aunt Claire to unburden her heart. When Aunt Claire gestures them away to give Jane privacy, they go back down to the beach to worry. Alec finds them there, and they explain a little about what happened. He says he's due for a haircut himself, and he can take Jane along. The rest of the girls decide to cut their hair in solidarity. Okay, so that specific scene... That was a lot. (laughs) It 
might be the creepiest thing that I have read for this podcast. Really? Even even the ghost that was trying to hang the little boy and um, all the lovely bad ones? I mean, that's unpleasant for sure. And I did get creeped out a couple of times in uh, small spaces. But holy crap, I think it's because this one I wasn't expecting to be It's out. pretty hard swear. You know, it's the Pender one. Yeah. But it says, it says, Sky reached Birches and was throwing herself down the stone steps. And now she was on the beach, skidding to a stop beside Jane, who wasn't dead or even dying, but upright and without any visible bloodstains, nor was Dominic anywhere to be seen. It was a bit odd that Jane was staring fixedly into the marshmallow fire pit while fussing with a pair of scissors, opening and closing them, snip, snip, snip. But certainly that couldn't be enough to throw Mercedes into a tizzy, right? And then Sky says, hello, Jane. Hello, said Jane, though still not looking at her sister. Please don't be furious. What's going on, Jane? What are you doing with the scissors? Not much, just making more wishes. With a jerky abruptness, Jane turned to face Sky. The curls on her left side have been chopped off almost to her ear. She keeps cutting and snipping off pieces and making wishes and stuff, uh, and chanting her thing over and over again. And then Jeffrey finally snatches away the scissors. Yeah, so she's like, the fire isn't lit, she's throwing him into the pit. And then she's like, you should be pleased that I didn't light the fire while I was alone, Sky. So responsible of me, right? But now that we're all here, I'll do it, just a little fire, and then my wishes will be official. And, I don't know, just the whole thing was very, like, kind of Blair Witchy to me. Yeah. (laughs) You're expecting to find Batty in the corner, and you're like, no! (laughs) No, this was, yeah, it got pretty dark, and... I was just like, Jane's going to grow up and like the boyfriend she has is going to cheat on her and she's going to set all his belongings on fire in the bathtub, isn't she? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She is 100% that girl. She- Hundro P, as Cassie Anderson would say. <laughs> I don't think she'd boil a bunny alive on the stove. What? Well, that's the other thing psycho ex-girlfriends do. It's from that movie Fatal Attraction. Where the guy comes home and, like, the family's pet rabbit's boiling on the stove. That's why, like... Oh, okay, we can be done with this. I don't like yeah. it at all. I didn't make it up, dude. It's a thing. Yeah, I... And that's yeah. a term for, like, this kind of girl. It's called a bunny boiler. Oh. Yeah. Welcome to the real world. <laughs> I really liked that they got solidarity here. I do, too. I did like that. That's, like, the one time where I was like, all right, I like that. Even Mercedes... Oh my god, yeah. and that part where she's like, I'm ashamed to be an horn. <laughs> <laughs> she's just so good. I love her so much. She's just such a little sweetheart. I love Mercedes. I hope one day she's able to ride her bike. <laughs> <laughs> Is that all we all we want to devote to that horrible scene? Yeah, it's just, it's way creepier than anything else in the Penderwick series, and it just, I think it, it was just left turn into weirdness for a couple It's pages. like that, that mental image of her just standing there, just like, with the scissors, just kind of absently clicking them next to her. I just, I didn't like that. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, and then like, you were using the tone perfectly of Sky, like, hi, what's going on? <laughs> like, you're talking someone off of a ledge. And then Jeffrey just kind of swooping in and just, or like, kind of like carefully coming in and like taking him from her. Oh, God, gross. Okay, let's go on to the next one because it's a better chapter. Okay, chapter 12. The thunderstorm. Everyone's looking pretty snazzy with their new haircuts. Alex shaved off his beard, and now he looks really familiar to everyone, but they can't quite place him. A thunderstorm's on the way. Aunt Claire, Skye, and Jeffrey go over to Alex to watch scary movies. 
Jane stays behind with Batty and Mercedes for having their first slumber party. Jane checks in with them and sees they've made signs for Batty's golf ball sale. They're doing fine, so she goes out to the shore and feels glum about Dominic, but then gets all empowered, imagining she's queen of the storm. Batty and Mercedes call Jane in before she can be struck by lightning. The little girls get upset thinking of the seals they saw the other day drowning in the bad weather. So Jane distracts them by pushing furniture together, simulating an island, and suggests they pretend to be seals. The game is interrupted when a face at the window scares them. It's only Dominic who brought Mercedes's toothbrush. Uh, seeing him now, Jane realizes he's really just an uninteresting and not terribly special boy. However, Jane's haircut and confidence suddenly draw Dominic's interest, but too late, loser. Jane's writer block has suddenly passed, and she knows just how to write her newest Sabrina Starbook. She shuts the door in Dominic's face and orders the little girls to bed. She's got a story to write. Meanwhile, the movie's over, and everyone's all fixated on music now, so Sky pieces out to check on Jane. She finds the kids asleep and Jane riding feverishly in the middle of the furniture island. When Sky looks dismayed at the mess, Jane quickly puts everything in its place. Jane tells Skye that she was right about Dominic, and she'd been devastated all day because he'd returned to her ode to a kiss, having written on the back, it didn't mean anything. She apologizes for not being a good co-OAP, and Skye forgives her. Jane starts to read her new story to Skye, but poor exhausted Skye falls asleep. This was a good chapter. I, I thought it made up for the horror of the last one. And um, that part where she's like with him at the door reminded me, uh, did you ever see the movie The Holiday? Okay, never mind. Okay. But anyone who's seen The Holiday, it's that scene where Jasper shows up and just ex expects uh, Kate Winslet to, like, be all stoked to see him. And he's still engaged to, like, the girl that uh, he dumped her for. And then, like, she realizes that all of this is horseshit and she throws him out of the house. It's like that. Okay? Right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a it's, like, a really good scene. And I'm just like, yes! So this was also a really good scene. And also, he doesn't even ask to come in. He just goes, I could come in, you know? And I hate when guys are like that. <laughs> so he was just a boy from, like, another book who stumbled into this series. He right. does not fit in at all. <laughs> He's not whimsical. He doesn't, like, say, like, did you come here of your own volition? <laughs> or, like, anything bizarre like that. That's, that's true. He probably, yeah, he would he would go back to school and they'd be like, so what did you do over your summer? And he's like, I don't know. I met some weirdos, but, you know, there's nothing that special going on there. Like, he wouldn't, he wouldn't really think about it anymore. I don't even... Not realize I don't that even think... inter intersected with... <laughs> I don't even think he'd say, I met weirdos. They'd be like, what'd you do this summer? Oh, I boarded. Nothing. I was with my grandparents. That's true. He, that's true. He would just be like, I just... I practiced the skateboard. That's pretty cool. And then that's it. <laughs> you know, end of discussion. He's not a deep person. There's just nothing to really talk about, because he's nothing yeah, there just... <laughs> and it's not even it's not poor writing it's just you know this type of boy she portrayed it so well of what this type of boy is like yeah there's just kind of nothing to pin on him i was expecting her sabrina starbook to be sabrina star rescues herself <laughs> um going through heartbreak and then and then getting herself out of it but and it's just it's, it's just all the lyrics to kelly clarkson stronger <laughs> I was going to go with Cheetah Girls, because they have the Cinderella. I'd rather rescue myself. Did anybody hear my eyes roll? Because that's what just happened. Jane's talking about the kiss, and uh, Sky was like, uh, I kissed Pearson last December. I told you that. 
And she was like, uh, did you kiss him before or after the bloody nose? And Sky's like, before. He promised he'd finally stop asking me out if I kissed him just once. So I kissed him, then punched him. He didn't seem to mind. And I just wrote, Sky is a hero. <laughs> Chapter 13. Questions. Uh, the kids sit up at their golf ball sale at the entrance to the golf course. Jeffrey brings along the bag of clubs his mom and Dexter got him for his birthday. The kids are making some serious bank, which is surprising to me. I wasn't fully expecting someone from the um, golf course to come out and yell at them. Because they sell that shit at the golf course, you know? Right. So they probably wouldn't want some kids having a sale, right? That's what I kept expecting to happen, and it didn't. So I was yeah. like, this is weird. Uh, when they run out of water, Sky volunteers to go get more. Jane casually mentions who Alec reminds her of now. Jeffrey! Sky says this theory's stupid and heads off back to Birch's. Uh, Dominic cruises by with a note for Jane, saying that he wants her to meet him at the park, but Sky's just like, no! Uh, anyway, she finds Alec with Hoover barking up a tree at a squirrel, and Alec says that they can refill the bottles at his house. Sky tells him about Jane thinking he and Jeffrey look alike, and Alec's like, yeah, Turon said the same thing. At his place, he shows Sky pictures of himself at age 12, and it's nearly identical to Jeffrey. Alex surmises that they must be distant cousins, but he has no relatives named Tifton. Sky tells him that Mrs. Tifton's name is made up because she didn't want to go back to her maiden name, Framley. Alec goes dead white. Framley had been his wife's name. He asks if Jeffrey's mom is Brenda Framley of Arendelle, and Sky's like, um, probably. Alec leaves Hoover with Skye so he can go get some answers. Before leaving, uh, he tells Claire the situation so that Skye doesn't have the burden of knowledge all by herself, which I thought was decent of him. Anyway, Skye's upset and wants to tell Jeffrey, but Claire says it wouldn't be fair to do so since it's Alec's story to tell, and besides, they don't have the full picture yet. Skye agrees to keep quiet, but feels like she's going to explode. I only have one quick comment for this sure. in, in regards to the uh, the sale. Yeah. Is, did I tell the story about when I decided to have a bead jewelry sale while I was camping? No. Okay, so every year we go camping, my parents and I and my cousin, and then we've added in his girlfriend, or now wife and my girlfriend. But one year we went and my mom brought one of those like bead jewelry making kits, and I was having some fun with it, and I was like... I'm going to set up a stand and I'm going to make some necklaces and I'm going to sell them and like bracelets and stuff. Just like, you know, like one or two dollars, nothing fancy. I ended up making like 20, 25 bucks. But I remember this one girl came by and she wanted a necklace that it only had like three beads, but I, I really liked the design of them together because it was really like simple. And so she bought it and then left and then came back with her mom, who was frustrated because that necklace didn't have as many beads in it as the other ones and I was charging the same amount. And I'm like nine, <gasps> ten. Oh. Yeah. Uh, what happened there? So I don't remember. I probably gave back a dollar or something like that. Or But I was just, even then I was just like, I don't, the girl wasn't, like the girl wasn't upset. The mom decided to be upset on behalf of the girl. Now that's, that's uh, a Karen right there. That's a Karen. Right? Right? Because I was like, she was fine with it. She got the fact that it's not about how many beads are on the necklace. It's just the one that you like. I wasn't like, I wasn't trying to upsell or anything like that. It was just like she wanted that one. And so she took it. And then her mom decided to come back and throw a fit about it. I was like, that's a real classy move. I mean, pick your battles. Why did that need to be, why right. did that need to be a battle? Right? <laughs> 
you're out on a weekend camping trip and there's some kid at another campsite that's selling beaded jewelry for two dollars like what do you stand she to gain a there fit over two dollars yeah like i said i i i i only made like 20 bucks so i would and i sold like 10 of them so what a cow uh, well now i i have a sales story myself but it's not as good as that probably about as sad me and my friends uh we wanted to you know make money and bear in mind we were oldest among us might have been nine i was like six we wanted to make lemonade but we didn't have anything for lemonade so we just decided to sell water and usually you see lemonade 25 cents like on the thing so we're like well we can't charge 25 cents for like water so we said five cents for water and like people would kind of go by and wouldn't buy water and so we t- like my friends had this extensive collection of McDonald's toys, so we decided to throw that in. If they bought like five cents of water, they can have a free toy. <laughs> and then these and then these mean girls who didn't like us opened up a Kool Aid stand directly across from us, and then people bought Kool Aid from them while giving us like apologetic looks. And then the mean girls for years after would go high five cent water when they saw us. When my mom was a little girl, she used to do the corner stand, and um, one year she decided to sell paper fish in Ziploc bags filled with colored water. Okay. And if you put a paper fish in water... It's gonna dissolve. You don't have a paper fish for very long. No. (laughs) She was very proud of the idea, but I, I think the execution left something to be desired there. This has been Sad Sales Stories with Josh and Mara. (laughs) Okay. Chapter 14. Answers and more questions. The comma in that irritates me. It says answers, comma, and more questions. Yeah. I guess that's supposed to denote a pause, but I just think it looks awkward. Okay. Anyway, Sky and Aunt Claire stay up all night until Alec calls them to let them know the news. He is Jeffrey's father. You are the father! Sorry, I just thought I'm Maury Povich. <laughs> um, she kept the baby secret so that she could have Jeffrey alter herself. When Alec returns, Aunt Claire makes sure the younger girls and the dogs are occupied at Birch's so that Alec can talk to Jeffrey alone. Only Sky stays behind as Alec tells the story. Jeffrey takes it badly and he runs off. Alec sends Sky after him. Jeffrey wants to be left alone, so Sky keeps her distance while still looking out for him. When Jane comes along a couple of hours later with a bag of food and Jeffrey's clarinet, uh, Sky tells her to get the others and wait for her signal. Uh, then she approaches Jeffrey. He feels a little bit better and he eats some of the sandwich. Uh, when he begins to play his clarinet, the others have arrived and Sky signals them over. So I hate Mrs. Tifton. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's such a horrible person. Don't have a secret, baby. And you know she didn't do it because... She's a sel- she's just the self most selfish person I've ever encountered in fiction. You know, she just did it because she's like, oh, that ex-husband that we had such a bad time. And I bet they had a bad time because she's awful. <laughs> you know, I bet he was just like, you know, I kind of have needs, too. And she's like, sacrilege. <laughs> you know, it, it's like all about. Her. I want to talk about I want to talk about me. And he's like, it's always been about you. Um <laughs> She only cares about her comfort. She doesn't even let Jeffrey be, you know? 
well, I think part of keeping him from music was that it reminded her of his father. But yeah, she just, I don't even know why Dexter's there. I guess because he's a garbage human too and like calls the like, but it's just, it's really, really rough. Hey, he he's the editor of a very successful car magazine. Lines on the Road, what was it called? <laughs> was it Lines <laughs> on the Road? I think it was Lines on the Road. <laughs> I think that are White Lines, but I think it's Lines on the Road. Because White Lines, I think that's like talking about cocaine. <laughs> yeah. That'd be a much more interesting um, magazine. <laughs> I really appreciate it because I have been the sky in the situation of like, Somebody needs their space, but you also want to keep an eye on them, so you just kind of hang back and wait until they're ready. Um, I've had to do that for people before, where you just, you're like, I'm here. Once you have a chance to sit with your emotions for a bit, we, I'm here to, to help you out, but I'll just hang back until you're ready. And so I appreciated that scene. Um, this is actually around the time where the book kind of lost me. And it's not necessarily because, oh, this writing is bad or or anything or, like, none of this is understandable or whatever. It's just I couldn't – okay, for everybody listening to the podcast who maybe hasn't listened to every episode or didn't, like, keep track of my personal timeline, I had a terrible father who left when I was 11. I saw briefly again when I was 15. Didn't see him at all. And uh, this – back in March, he died. So I – don't didn't really have a father and still don't have one. And so reading this where Jeffrey finds out he has a dad and it's someone he likes who's actually a really good person and he's angry at him for it. I was like, I'm sorry, kid, but fuck you. Like I, it was my I actually it was my dream when I was a kid to find out, you know, like it turns out my dad isn't my dad and I wanted a different dad. So just like on a deeper level with me, I was not with Jeffrey on this, even though everyone can respond to anything. Like, I'm not saying like his his experience isn't valid, but like if you had something similar, I'm not saying that you didn't react properly. It's just I personally, with my experience and how I feel about stuff, I just could not fundamentally get it. So that's that's it. Yeah. I actually wrote that in this chapter. I wrote, I've never been in Jeffrey's position, but I, I think I would be happier because he gets everything that he wanted. Right. And it's like, I don't know. And I, I, I don't necessarily know if I feel like his criticism of Alex should have known. That was super uh, not fair. I felt like that wasn't fair. Yeah. But the uh, comment, do I have any siblings? Are you sure? And then like, okay. Are you and sure? And like, I earned that. I was like, you kind of did. Yeah. <laughs> I did like that. Yeah, but the rest of it, I just couldn't personally, from my own experience, really get it. But, um, you know, everyone's different. There's no one way to respond to things and, you know, whatever. Yeah, especially when it's a life-changing, like, flip a switch sort of situation. You don't know how you're going to react and there's no right, right. or wrong way to there's, react yeah. at that moment. Exactly. Because you haven't you haven't had a chance to process it. It's not like it's the sort of thing you can, like, prepare for. You have a extensive knowledge of. Yeah. I did make a note at the end when Jeffrey finally calms down and he starts playing music and says, by the time Jeffrey was beginning to play, he had a full audience, four girls to listen to him, cherish him, and wish they could keep him here forever, safe from the perilous world of grown-ups. And I wrote Jeffrey's harem. <laughs> All the little girls who think he's wonderful. Mercedes immediately thinks he's great. Considering her brother's dog shit, 
that's probably like her only experience of an older boy who's like patient and kind and all that. So yeah, Jeffrey's earned his little harem. <laughs> I'm being a good little person. The only other thing I have to mention here isn't part of like the main part of the story. Just when uh, Sky is thinking about her and Neil deGrasse Tyson on a spaceship, <laughs> and then Neil deGrasse Tyson's narration switches into Jane's narration of the Sabrina Starbuck. Um, you know, I was like, should they make Sabrina Starbucks now and have Neil deGrasse Tyson narrate them? <laughs> <laughs> Sabrina star, not to be confused with a supernova kind of star. <laughs> You're just like, okay, Neil, you don't need to tell us that bit. <laughs> just get to the part where she rescues the boy. Gender 15, an unwelcome visitor. The next morning, Jane's the first one up. And wow, look who it is. It's Dexter Dupree. Uh, he's come at the behest of Mrs. TD, who was too upset to come herself. No. Your kid just found out he has a dad. You get off your dead ass and you go up there and you talk to him in person. <sighs> so Dexter's here and wants Jeffrey to pack up and come home. Jane stalls him, hoping someone else will wake up and control the situation. Unfortunately, the first person to show up is Dominic. He points out that Jane didn't answer his, his note or come to the park. And she's like, yeah, I didn't, because he's an empty shell of a boy who cares only for his skateboard and stealing kisses. Dominic has no idea what she's talking about, since none of the Penderwicks, least of all Jane, can talk like a normal person. Mercedes shows up next, and Dexter's getting pretty irritated, thinking that she's batty. The Penderwicks, except Skye, are all pretty identical, so I don't really understand his struggle. Mercedes is flattered <laughs> to be confused for a Penderwick, though. I like that. She thanks, mister. <laughs> that was like the second time she won my heart when she did that. Okay, then Batty herself comes out next with a growling hound. At this point, Dexter's about to snap, so it's good that Skye finally enters the chat, and she takes charge. She has Batty go wake Aunt Claire, and then sends Dominic and Mercedes back to the inn to get Dexter some coffee, and then she has Jane run and go get Alec. Uh, once everyone's assembled, Dexter looks intimidated, and he's a doofus. Uh, Jeffrey joins the group and says he's not leaving, not caring when Dexter warns him that his car's been canceled. Aunt Claire says she'll drive Jeffrey home. What did he think the answer? Like, oh, you're going to be stranded. No one's going to drive you home. <laughs> what a stupid dickhead. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, Dexter accepts this as well as the lukewarm coffee that Mercedes brings him. He passes a message on to Jeffrey from his mother saying she's sorry and she's done the best she could. Wow, if this is her best, I'd hate to see her worst, which I think we have back in book one. Uh, Jeffrey starts to send a message back, but isn't quite sure what to say. Alex steps in and says that Jeffrey's doing the best he can, too. Uh, finally, Dexter leaves. Jeffrey's miserable, feel feeling like he's spoiled everyone's vacation. Aunt Claire and the girls reassure him. Alec has decided to leave his house and stay with a friend up the coast. He'll come back if Jeffrey asks for him, and there's no time limit on that offer. So he's always going to be waiting for Jeffrey. In the afternoon, everyone goes off to do their own thing, while Skye cleans the house after Dexter's visit. She finds an inflatable duck and realizes the mention of blowing up in her notes referred to this thing and not Batty blowing up, which I didn't mention before, but... Sky is paranoid that Batty's going to blow up, and it comes up a lot. It's one of the only <laughs> things that she can read that's left over on her yeah. waterlogged list, is just blow up, and she's like, <gasps> She's like, Batty, are you going to blow up? And Batty's like, not to my knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> 
I really want to picture little Batty going, not to my knowledge. <laughs> anyway, she's super stoked and she runs outside with it, you know, wanting to celebrate that this was the blow up mention. But the only person that she finds is Dominic, who's returned. Uh, he blows up the duck for her while Sky explains that he and Jane are never, ever, ever getting back together, back together. Like ever. <laughs> like ever. <laughs> Dominic says that Jane's too smart for him and he never knows what she's talking about. Ethan admits that he only kissed Jane because his older brothers dared him to kiss as many girls as he could in the park this summer. I'm not sure why it had to be the park. It's a very weird specification. Anyway, Skye's appalled, and she tells him that she'll tear him to shreds if he messes with Jane again. Then she orders him to leave. Well, if you kiss them and you're not in the park, you're out of bounds, and so you don't get the score. Over the line, Smokey! (laughs) (laughs) When Dexter shows up, Jane's like, how did you get here? That is, have you come of your own volition? I drove! And Dexter's like, I drove, if that's what you mean. And then Dominic shows up, and she's like, did you come of your own volition? And Dominic's like, I walked, if that's what you mean. <laughs> yeah, Jane's weird. <laughs> but also, the two just wet blanket people. <laughs> uh, they are wet blanket people. Yeah, well, because Dexter, Dexter's not even that intimidating. He's just like, I've, I've come for Jeffrey. Can you bring him out? Can I? Well, all right. Bye, guys. Like, it's just such a non-threat. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, she's uh. all like, have I told you about the gospel of Sabrina Starr? And it's like, yeah, he knows all about her. He told her your story sucked. Remember? Yeah. I really liked Sky swooping in and immediately, like, dishing out roles for people to, to take over the situation. Yeah. She really showed her OA penis there. Penis. <laughs> Did you know I do that? You set me up, didn't you? I did. Yeah. You suck. Also, what finally pushes Dexter over the edge is Batty playing taps on the harmonica. (laughs) (laughs) He's just like, I drove all night to get here. (laughs) This little bitch is playing taps. I can't. Are you the one that used to wear fairy wings? They were butterfly wings. They gave them to Jeffrey. You know, that reminded me of, like, when these, like, fairy wings, she goes, they're butterfly wings. It's like that clip of that weird movie that went viral where this guy yells, my peonies, and this woman goes, they're marigolds. (laughs) And this other guy goes, she's right. They are marigolds. And then the guy's like, I may not know my flowers, but I know a bitch when I see one. (laughs) Go look up that clip if you guys want to see it, Uh, unless... You're all like more with it than Josh is and has seen this clip before. When Sky is freaking out about the duck, she runs out and only Dominic's there and she's like, Look at this duck! I have to blow it up! And he just goes, All right. I know. <laughs> I laughed. I laughed out loud at that. I know. Because <laughs> it's so great. It's like this normal, it's like a normal kid got sucked into like to this book and just doesn't know what to do because they're <laughs> all just weird, f- weird kids. <laughs> He's the only normal one. <laughs> so, some kids get taken to Narnia and others just end up in Penderwick land. Yeah, going like, what? <laughs> it's the John Travolta thing. It's just he's, the... He's just, yeah, he's like, I know we're both doing that right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looking confused with our jacket over our arm. Like, what? And then Batty shows up and Sky's like, Batty, you're not going to blow up. And Dominic is an idiot. And Batty just says, we know Don't all that. <laughs> Um, but then going back a little bit, there is something that I want to 
point out that actually really hit me. Aunt Claire is explaining that Alec is gonna go, uh, he's gonna go up the coast and stay with the friend who owns the boat that they took out to look at the seals so that, uh, Jeffrey has a little bit of space to kind of, like, deal with this. And she says, but Jeffrey, he told me specifically to tell you this. You have all the time in the world. He will never give up on you or stop loving you no matter how long you take to figure out what you want. Do you understand? And Jeffrey just stares for a little while and finally just says, no, I don't understand. And that really hit me that he doesn't understand the idea of someone caring about him and loving him enough to be patient with him and to let him figure out what he needs. That hit me pretty hard. Well, I mean, look who his mom is. No, I, yeah. I get why. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's, it's just very that, sad. That was, yeah. Yeah. That, that like made me sad, too. I was like, oh, Jeffrey. Okay, chapter 16. We're almost done. Um, chapter 16, Batty's first concert. The days go on, and it's almost the last night in Maine, the night Batty's concert is scheduled. To prepare, Jeffrey gets Batty up early and takes her to the golf course, where she finally sees the Moose family. He talks to her about her musical ability and how she needs to practice, even when it's hard and she's scared she isn't good enough. Batty doesn't understand the import of the words, though she wishes she did. That was so cute. He's like, do you understand? She goes, yes, said Batty, who wished she did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, she lied. Yeah. You know, like a liar. Um. <laughs> Actually, can we get the Penderwick books narrated by John Mulaney? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, all she knows is she wants Alec and Hoover at the recital, which Jeffrey grudgingly allows. Uh, not really relevant to the plot, but Mercedes makes self-addressed decorative cards for the Penderwick so they'll write to her when she leaves, and it's the yeah. most adorable thing yeah. ever! <laughs> I was like, I love you so much, you sweet little diamond. Doesn't she show them to Skye, and do Skye doesn't really get it, but then she wants to be more supportive, so she- She looks through every that, single like one of them. Oh, it was so cute. It was so cute. And she starts running out of things to say, but then somebody comes in and saves yes. her. <laughs> oh, God, I love Mercedes. I swear to God, she's like the best character in this book. Anyway, concert night comes, and Jeffrey and Batty get all dolled up as they can with their summer clothes <laughs> and head to Alex. Batty and Jeffrey play summertime on the piano. Batty the melody and Jeffrey the harmony. Everyone's moved to tears. Well, not Sky, but she's close. And Batty stops to ask Alec to join in on saxophone. He does, and it's Jeffrey who interrupts the performance this time, sobbing. Alec runs to him and comforts him, though Jeffrey tells him that this hallmark moment doesn't magically fix everything. Uh, once everything settles down, they finish summertime, and Batty plays taps on harmonica just for Mercedes. She's like, this is for my friend Mercedes. I'm like, Taps and Mercedes is like, <gasps> I would love it if they grew up and were like lesbians with each other. That'd be really cute. Um, at the end of the night, Sky waits on the beach for Jeffrey. He spent an hour talking to Alec and they're on the right track to having a relationship. Uh, Alec wants the Penderwicks to come back next summer and Sky agrees, but only if they bring Rosalind because Sky's totally over being an OAP. <laughs> She just keeps going, but with Rosalind. <laughs> when Jeffrey and Batty go out, they go, so Batty can see the moose this time. And uh, they decided to uh, sing moose songs. And by <laughs> moose songs, they just sing a song that they don't know all the words for. And then Jeffrey just sticks in moose rhymes. <laughs> so basically us in the field going, moose! <laughs> yeah. 
I also like that when uh, when he explains practicing, he's like, do you understand? And she says, yes, she said and wished she did, but then he like sees right through it, and he's like, no, you don't, goofball. <laughs> I know, it was great. Batty's version of being dolled up is <laughs> that Jane had put her into one of Skye's skinny black t-shirts, tied at the waist with a white braided band that on later inspection turned out to be shoelaces, swiped from various sneakers. The result wasn't exactly a black concert gown, but Skye found that if she squinted, it wasn't far off, especially if she could ignore Batty's flip-flops. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, <that> pretty bad. <laughs> uh, and Batty asks to be introduced at the concert as Miss Elizabeth Penderwick, because that is her full name, which I keep forgetting. Yeah, she couldn't... She's named after her mama. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was kind of um, cute. Yeah, and then when the concert stops a second time, because Jeffrey just starts sobbing and basically just, like, face plants into the piano because it's so overcome yeah. with emotion. Yeah, funk! Um, <laughs> just crying. Yeah. Oh, God, I felt bad for uh, him, though. Yeah, I felt bad. I also like that he's like, this doesn't mean everything's all of a sudden better, yeah. and also, don't be funny and try to endear me to you. Stop being perfect! I'm sorry. My, We're just perfect in this family. There have definitely been a couple of times where my girlfriend has been sad and I make her laugh and she's like, I don't want to laugh right now. And I'm like, I'm sorry. It's what I default to. <laughs> yeah. And then and then just uh, Sky uh, being like, we can do it all over again. But with Rosalind or Rosalind, thank heavens. Uh, Sky, you know you were a great OAP, but with Rosalind! <laughs> Jeffrey last. Yes, with Rosalind. <laughs> okay, alright. Alright, last chapter. <laughs> chapter 17. And back again. A Hobbit Tale. A Hobbit Tale. By, <laughs> <laughs> by, and then J.R.R. Tolkien's name is crossed out and it says Jane Penderwick instead. Jane Letitia Penderwick. Letitia, that's really terrible. I had, my mom had a great aunt Letitia. They called her Letty. Just an interesting factoid for all you out there who are not interested. Okay. Rosalind's the first one home and she immediately runs across the street to see her boyfriend, Tommy. He's been so anxious to see her. He was only able to eat two Sammies for his afternoon snack. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, we didn't get enough Tommy Geiger in this book. Oh, I forgot how funny he was. And his mom's like, are you okay? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm dying, I'm dying. <laughs> okay, all right. Then she's back at the house to comfort Asimov, who's devastated to have been completely abandoned, even though Tommy came over every day to feed him and ba watch baseball games with him. And then uh, it said forever after that, like, Asimov was always super interested in the White Sox. Ah, this chapter was so funny. Anyway, okay. Um, Aunt Claire shows up with Jane and Skye and Rosalind's head spinning over the haircuts and Aunt Claire's injury. And where's Batty? Another caller pulls into the driveway, this one with a strange man and Jeffrey and Batty. Uh, it takes Rosalind like two seconds to recognize Alec as Jeffrey's father. <laughs> then Alec and Jeffrey head off to Arendelle and the girls go inside to catch up with one another. Jane reveals that before they left Maine, Dominic gave her a poem, and it's so bad she feeds it to Hound after they all laugh at it, and I'm going to open the book and read this goddamn poem, because I like it. Okay, this is by Dominic Orn. I'm glad I met Jane. She isn't plain. She's a slick penderwick. <laughs> Oh, 
All right, all right, all right. Okay, then Mr. P, Ayantha, and Ben come home, and ah, the gang's all back together again. The end. I love this chapter, though. It was my favorite chapter of the whole book, so I really think it did kind of suffer without with not having Rosalind there. That's why I really have no interest in reading the next two books, because Rosalind really just doesn't play a role in them. I, yeah, I venture to guess that on, strictly on their own terms, separate from being the, like, in the context of the other books, they're probably fine, because obviously Birdsall is a talented yes. character. I think what would disappoint me most is the idea of so many other childhood moments that won't be told with these characters, because you're skipping so far ahead, and I kind of don't want them to grow up. No, me neither. It's nice to be able to drop in and be in that age again and really have three-dimensional interesting characters. And I know I know it's probably the whole theme of, like, childhood eventually ends and stuff, but it's like, it doesn't have to in fiction. I just want to um, picture Batty Little forever with her arms in the air going, look, Rosalind, I'm playing football as the football sails over her head. Like, I think, <laughs> I think that picture... <laughs> and then she, like, claps her hands together, like, five seconds too late. Yeah. yeah. And I want a spinoff series with the Geiger brothers, like Nick and Tommy, because Nick was amazing in his, like, cameo part, you know, where he has all the stupid football player boys step forward and say, you need to do something about yes. the trophy situation. Yes. And I and, and then, like, he's he's clearly Steve Harrington. And I just I, I love all of it. That this, The second book, I think, is the best, by far the strongest of the three. It's so, so good. It's my favorite. That being said, there are a couple of things I want to touch on in this last chapter. Uh, Batty hops out the car and she says, uh, Alec taught me the blues on the way home. I can explain the blues to you, Rosie, if you want. And I really want Batty to explain the blues to her older sister. Oh my gosh. Batty's understanding of the blues would be like the greatest thing ever. I'd be like, let's hear it. Let's go. Tell me. Tell me all about the blues. Uh, Rosalind gives Batty a new stuffy, which is a lobster named Lola. Lola. Um, yeah, that Asimov wanted. She got yeah, him a little and octopus, and he's like, no, I want what you're not letting me have, which is such a cat. Yeah. Like I said, I knew that there were time skips in this series. I didn't realize that it was not just between four and five. That was also three and four. So finishing this off, I was like, I'm really stoked to see what they're doing a few months from now and how, like, you know, how they get back in touch with Mercedes and all of that. And it's a real kind of bummer to know that I don't get to see that no. immediate aftermath. no. We skip ahead to Batty being like 12, I think, 12 or 13, and uh, Hound is no longer there. And I don't want that book. I mean, I'm sorry, like, but yeah, I, I'm out. You can read those books on your own if you want. I'm going uh, yeah, to pretend this was a, a trilogy, and it ends here. Yeah, I've read a few series like that. Like, I ended up reading, the first one that came to mind is The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I've, I've read all six of them, the three written by the original author and then the three follow-ups. And they, the three follow-ups aren't bad thrillers. They just don't feel very true to the characters in some ways. And so mentally in my head, it's like, I know that things supposedly happen, a happen after, but to me, it just stops there. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't read the um, additional ones. I, I stopped at three and went, and that's it. No one ever wrote anything else. <laughs> <laughs> and uh sometimes book series don't even progress past book one as i was telling josh earlier i tried to read a very popular young adult series and threw the book across the room today and i have put i have put it on my poop shelf on uh goodreads 
Yeah, sometimes uh, I, I have a shelf of should have ended here, which is where I put the last <laughs> book in the series that should have been canonical. Should have ended here. Yeah, let me pull that up real quick. I want to see what... Um... Yeah, what you put? I'm curious now. Not that I don't think our reading habits tend to overlap. It's just a few of them. It's one of it's one of James Patterson's Maximum Ride series. It should have stopped at three instead of going to eight books. Shit, that's uh, a long time to suck. That's a lot of, yeah... And then, uh, it will, here's the even worse one is a manga series called Bleach. I said that it should have ended after book 21. It goes until book 74. Oh no. Yeah. I think I heard about that. There's lots of filler in there, isn't there? Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of filler and there's a lot of, I'm just going to keep giving the main character more superpowers and make them even more super special awesome because I can't think of a way to change the stakes other than that. This is reminding me of that album by uh, Sum 41, All Killer, No Filler, and it was a lie because there was like two good songs that were like the hits and the rest of it sucked. Do you think they did that on purpose? Probably to fool us into buying their shitty album, which I did because I was 15 and I was like, yeah. Storming through the party like my name was El Nino. I like that. <laughs> and then the only other, other one on here is the idea that uh, Rick Riordan finished off the five Percy Jackson books and then retired. Because I read the the Heroes of Olympus, and boy, are those... They sh- are about 300 pages longer each than they need to be. And they're also five books longer than they need to be. I'm picturing that meme, why would you say something so controversial? It's so brave. <laughs> <laughs> Because I I know people who, like, live and die by that series and swear by it and think every sentence of it is just perfect gospel. And if you hate it, then you're just a Satan worshiper. So, Joshua, how long have you been a Satan worshiper? No, well, the main uh, five in- Percy Jackson books are actually <laughs> quite fun. It's just everything after that is bloated and rehashy, and once I figured out his writing formula, it is the most blatantly obvious thing that I could not see past anymore. All of the magic was stripped away, and I just saw, it's really easy, I just, I block it out like this, and then I fill in a few extra words, bam, I got a novel, I can do two of those a year. Did you happen to see the uh, Twitter exchange that he had with uh, our friend Cassandra Clare? where they're both patting themselves on the back for what good representation they have in their books, despite what haters say. I was just like, okay, because Cassandra Clare is a very formulaic writer. So it's funny that you're saying the same thing about him. So it's almost like the only thing they have going for them is that they're very inclusive in their writing character wise. The, di- the difference being is that I do genuinely like a percentage of Rick Riordan's books. It's just, it's it, it's that it's just that section of when he actually was like I'm gonna try and and actually do something interesting with these mythological characters and then afterwards he's like that's just my thing it's just what I do I just crank out a thousand pages of retold myths every year which apparently he is done doing at the end of this year he's releasing the final book in the Trials of Apollo and then he is taking a break from mythological based young adult fiction. I wish Cassandra Clare would retire. Her books are so big. Why are they so big? Especially since it's the same. I'm I'm told it's the same story over and over again. It's like the same group. There's like a group of like pretty teenagers who hunt, you know, demons. Yeah, we should probably cut all this out. <laughs> we probably will. Um, we're gonna. We're uh, in case we didn't make it abundantly clear. Um, we are no longer going to be covering the Penderwicks uh, for this podcast at this point. 
we it makes sense because uh, uh particularly the last book in the series they're like they're all like daddy's in college so um yeah we've kind of it, it's moving out of our wheelhouse yeah so uh we're we're done it, it's been fun and again it's it's nothing against the author she is a very very good writer it's just the spirit of the story that attracted us to it mm-hmm. is going to be going away and uh it, it's, we're yeah, not... it's just all about our reading preferences and which um, preferences are just you know they are what they are yeah 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 okay so for uh next month for august we are going to be reading children of blood and bone by tomi adiyemi and uh this is a this is a beefy one yeah i'm glad i'm not the one doing recaps this time Ooh. Done. Hey, Mike has a post. Should have done this one. All right. So thanks everybody for listening. Uh, Hello, fellow kids is hosted by Mara and Josh, produced by Josh, music provided by Ben Ash. You can visit him at benash.com. If you'd like to contact us, we are on Twitter and Instagram at hfkpodcast and Gmail, hfkpodcast at gmail.com. We are we have a Goodreads account where you can keep track of what we're working on and look at little brief reviews and we are available pretty much everywhere you listen to podcasts. We will be back next month with the Children of Blood and Bone. Bye. Bye.